and welcome to Skynet Today's Last Week in AI podcast, where you can hear AI researchers chat about what's actually going on with AI. As usual, in this episode, we'll provide summaries and discussion of some of last week's most interesting AI news. You can also check out our Last Week in AI newsletter over at lastweekin.ai for articles we didn't cover in this episode. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Sharon Joe. And I am your other host, Andre Krankov. And in this episode, we will discuss some AI for manufacturing and for detecting and predicting shifting sea ice. We'll discuss research on tactile sensors and more fine-grained emotional classification. We'll talk about Facebook shutting out its facial recognition system, uh, Google wanting to work with the military again, and a bit on Kibria. And finally, we'll finish with some fun things about AI for boxing and cooking. And our first article in application slash business is about Landing AI, which is my advisor's company, uh, Andrew Ng's company. So the article is titled Landing AI Brings in $57 million for its machine learning operations tools. All right. So Landing AI uh, just announced a Series A funding of $57 million to continue building tools that help manufacturers more easily uh, build and deploy AI systems. And uh, specifically, they look at you know finding defects more quickly and more accurately. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is the progression of this company as it grows. It's a very large Series A round. Um, it, I think some people think of it as even just a later stage round, <laughs> even though it's called uh, Series A. Mm. Um, but what's uh, challenging manufacturing is that, you know, every factory does something different. Um, so it's it's really hard to build out a product that all of them find very, very useful. They build a very different uh, product or manufacture a very different product oftentimes. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is kind of interesting. I think this is a very kind of intuitive application of AI, this sort of inspection to find defects. Basically, you look at an image of a product or a chip or, I don't know, I don't know, some license plate and figure out, is it in good shape or not? So pretty straightforward. And as you said, the challenge is... Um, actually just making it work in all these various settings. As I said, uh, the problem becomes how we can help 10,000 manufacturers build 10,000 different models. Um, yeah, so it's cool to see we're getting to Series A uh, after building out this product a year ago. Uh, I was kind of curious in this, they said we kicked off a data-centric AI movement and are quite pleased that other companies have started talking about it. Uh, do you know what data-centric AI is, Sharon? So actually, this is connected with a workshop that we are organizing together at NeurIPS uh, called the Data Centric AI Workshop. Okay, um, you should know. So I should know. Uh, so basically, it's about... Um, you know, there's so much work on, you know, improving models. And I think like that's been taking the highlight. But in reality, um, when it comes to these applications, it's it's 
often the heavy lifting done in data where where we do uh, a lot of our work um, when it comes to applying AI and deploying AI systems. Um, in fact, there's jokes about people saying, you know, I spend, you know, 90% of my time on data engineering and then 10% of my time actually training models. Um, and I think that in large part is actually very true when it comes to deploying these systems. Uh, I think... Um, uh, that maybe is slightly less true in research, but even in research, we feel that. Um, and, you know, unless we have, unless we're working only with the very nice manicured da data sets, uh, this is very much the case of getting something to work on uh, data that matters. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I think even in research, there's a bit less appreciation, I suppose, of papers that are mainly about introducing a data set or, you know, introducing data. Now it's changing a little bit. There's also a benchmarks uh, uh, track at NeurIPS. Right, right. So, yeah, it's it's a logical shift. Um, and I guess a logical area for this specific problem area, right, where you're doing all this uh, specialization to different contexts. Right, yeah. All right. So on to our second article on applications of AI. We have as the Arctic Worms AI forecast scope out shifting sea ice. So a bit more of a bummer, but, you know, I guess AI is turning out useful here. Uh, of course, we have climate change and Arctic air and water has warmed three times faster than the rest of the planet since 1971. So, you know, it's, it's obviously now important to keep track of uh, the state of the Arctic and kind of the rapidly happening changes there. And so this article is all about how, in addition to existing um, simulators and models that are using physics to understand what's happening, uh, the AI algorithms are also kind of complicated that. So there's, as the title says, AI-based forecast models that are better able to adapt quickly as there is more uh you know, uncertain pace of climate change and it's kind of hard to adopt these existing tools. Yeah, it is definitely sad that um, the Arctic is warming and the sea ice uh, is shifting at the very least, if not, you know, being reduced. Uh, and this is very much impacting, you know, all the environmental processes of wildlife that rely on it, uh, as well as, um, I believe it also is, you know, changing, you know, how tribal members are in commercial fishers and how people are, uh, engaging with it, um, as well as with certain natural resources, uh, like, like oil. Um, and so I think it's great that, um, people are using AI towards this. Uh, the specific model is a unit. So if you're familiar with that, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty standard, um, uh, model that people often use, um, across, you know, all sorts of different domains. And I'm glad they're starting to apply it, apply it here. Um, so it's not, it's not perfect. It's a pretty simple model that came out a while back. Um, but it is, you know, important that we're, we're starting to use things like this. Um, yeah. 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 So this is, uh, this article covers this paper, seasonal Arctic sea ice forecasting with probabilistic deep learning. Uh, and 
um, this one of the people here uh, that we, we got a quote from is Thomas Anderson, a data scientist at the British Antarctic Survey, who created this IceNet model and said that it can run thousands of times faster and you know also learn to complement the physics-based model. I also found it interesting that in addition to that, the article also covers uh, the work of Polarctic, a company whose CEO is Leslie Canavera, who is actually a tribal member of this Yupik tribe and who grew up in Alaska. And they are likewise working on this problem. So at least, you know, people are working to to get better forecasting. And as the uh, article notes, it's increasingly important for tribal members who are doing commercial fishing in the area and also global shipping companies. So, you know, another useful application of AI in a rapidly changing world. And on to our research articles. The first one is why Facebook or Meta is making tactile sensors for robots. So if you uh, haven't forgotten, it's hard to forget now <laughs> that uh, Facebook rebranded to Meta. Um, uh, but they have come out with uh, some interesting blog posts. One is teaching robots to perceive, understand, and interact through touch. And the other one that's relevant here is called Reskin, a versatile, replaceable, low-cost skin for AI research on tactile perception. Um, so this is a pretty exciting work around, you know, adding a skin to a robot hand to help with um, sensing and this sensing, this tactile sensing is super important for it to be able to pick up objects um, of different varying amounts of, you know, fragility or um, being just just as much as dexterous or not as dexterous, but as careful as like what a human hand would do. And I think the, um, great marketing photo that's being shown uh, for 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 Meta here is a robot, you know, trying to pick up an egg, and without their special touch sensing, um, it cracks. But the robot can actually pick up an egg without it cracking uh, using this the skin. Uh, thoughts on this, Andre, as a roboticist? Yeah, this is very exciting. I think I've seen some other people in robotics get excited for this. Um, they're partnering with Gelsight, uh, who they've introduced this digit uh, sensor that is kind of building upon something that's been in the works for a while. And they're going to commercially manufacture it. So that's pretty sweet because now, you know, you don't need access to prototypes. You can just buy these sensors. And obviously having them for manipulating objects, you know, we use this a ton. We need the tactile sensing, the feelings of pressure, of texture, as we make contact with stuff. And this reskin thing seems to be more of a prototype that is similar, but, you know, can be stretched out over larger surfaces. The um, gel side thing is more like the end of your fingers have this stuff. So, yeah, uh, thoughts are that this was a pretty big announcement and pretty exciting for the world of robotics. And they even also released a, a library called PyTouch, 
for learning <laughs> machine learning models for uh, these tactile sensors. And they release Tacto, a simulator for high-resolution vision-based tactile sensors. Yeah, so they've done quite a bit of work here, and, and definitely this is um, you know kind of a big deal. It's also interesting that this is Facebook or Meta because they haven't worked on much robotics, especially not robotics that involves hands and moving you know stuff with robotic hands. Uh, but they have been expanding that department, so I guess this shows that. And I think it makes a lot of sense that they're expanding, actually, because given their rebranding to Meta, they're thinking about you know the metaverse and like VR, um, and very much pushing on Oculus. And th- I think this fits into that uh, in a way. Um, it'll enable. They want to enable you know all the tactile, every kind of sensation in that world um, or more uh, arguably. And so I think it makes sense that they're moving in this direction. Yeah, that's a good point. These sensors could come in handy outside of robotics probably and uh, possibly even like teleoperating robotic arms would be very useful. When, when we were starting out, we were chatting, I think as a person not in robotics, um, I think you, you, you didn't, you had no idea that this kind of sensor was like still a big challenge in the hardware robotics. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I, I remember seeing them, uh, like five years ago, but as wearable skins, uh, on, on, on skin, on people's skin. Um, and so I just hadn't seen these skins be added to, uh, robots and I wasn't sure like how useful that would be. Um, and so seeing this is really exciting because I do think um, this has been a big bottleneck in robotics in terms of this this type of ability when it comes to tactile sensing. So yeah, my sense exactly. is this is cool, especially yeah. since your excitement corroborates that. <laughs> yeah, it's the kind of thing where, you know, we used to have gigantic phones and cell phones in the nineties <laughs> and we had, you know, gigantic sensors, but now they're becoming more miniature and, and more useful. So it, it is a right. pretty exciting development. Right. Right. And on to our second, uh, research story, we have Google AI introduces go emotions and NLP data set for fine grained emotion classification. So, this is talking about the paper Go Emotions, a data set of fine-grained emotions, basically, as we said. And it's all about this new data set of 58,000 Reddit comments from popular English language subreddits that have been labeled with 27 emotion categories. So usually in sentiment classification, you know, um, a lot of work has been done on just positive, negative, right? And I don't know, maybe there's been some other extensions of that, but here they really get into a large amount. So in, in contrast to even a basic six emotion model, which is kind of popular in technology, they um, include 12 positive, 11 negative, and four ambiguous emotion categories, as well as one like, neutral one. Uh, so some examples are, you know, in a positive camp, you have amusement, caring, excitement, relief. In the negative side, you have annoyance, disgust, grief, remorse. And on the ambiguous, you know, not positive or negative, you have realization, surprise, and, and curiosity. 
So yeah, I, I found it pretty fun to see this. Uh, pretty useful, I would imagine, for all sorts of things in social media. Uh, what do you think, Sharon? Yeah, I think this is definitely a step in this direction. It makes complete sense to me. I'm actually surprised um, we didn't have this uh, sooner because I think it's a fairly natural step to do finer grained emotion classification. Um, maybe it's just around getting the data set together uh, and some momentum around them. Yeah, I think it's part of the challenge is, of course, just being able to collect and annotate this data well. And this is coming from Google, so they, they have the resources clearly. And uh, one thing I like, if you go to the table, they it's kind of a fun paper to read because they have a lot of these like tables uh, breaking down all the emotions and different results and stuff like that. Um, and some discussion of how they wound up at 26. And in fact, they actually have uh, one of their uh, findings is that each component is significant. So each emotion captures a unique part of the data. There's none, no like uh, uh, redundant emotions, which kind of supports their, their work. Uh, also one thing that is kind of fun is they have a breakdown of the uh, amount of each emotion, number of examples. So you have a lot of comments with admiration and approval. I don't know what subreddits they went to that for. <laughs> and then you have annoyance and disapproval. So <laughs> that seems more like Reddit to me. I'm surprised their sarcasm is not one, honestly. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It's hard to I guess it's, it's not exactly an emotion per se. It's more like something you can communicate, but. Disgust? Anyway. I don't know. But like, if you see a sarcastic remark, what do you. Mm, yeah. I, I don't even know what to actually categorize that as, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah, so that, that kind of shows how it's tricky. It was also nice to see that they did discuss filtering bad data and making sure there's no toxic or offensive or of these sorts of things. Um, yeah, so overall exciting work, useful to this area, and I would imagine will, as a data set, enable quite a bit of follow-up work. Right. And on to our society and ethics articles. The first one is Facebook citing societal concerns, plans to shut down facial recognition system. All right. So this is a pretty big um, kind of shock to a lot of people, but they, uh, Facebook actually does plan to shut down their decade old facial recognition system. Um, and that not, not only means that they won't keep doing it, but they actually delete the data of more than a billion users. Um, so they're going to just eliminate that feature. Um, and this is very much a, a reaction to what they've been in the news for, you know, the government investigations, the, the lawsuit, um, et cetera. So, uh, I, I think like, despite, you know, being that being a reaction, I, I'm still surprised at this, uh, that this did happen. Yeah, exactly. I think it it uh, took a lot of people by surprise. A lot of privacy advocates kind of celebrated this. Uh, I was surprised to see that the change affects more than a third of uh, Facebook's daily users who had facial recognition turned on. 
my impression is this was turned on for most people. Uh, I'm not sure what that means. It's it's a feature that I've used. Uh, I'm guessing you might have used as well. Uh, so it's it's comes as a bit of a surprise, also given how long we've been doing it, how much we invested in it. But as you said, I think to me it feels like trying to shift the narrative away from all the negativity and, and sort of the distrust and so on. And um, still, though, it is a positive development in the sense of, you know, our privacy gets <laughs> one little nudge towards the company not knowing everything about us, which I guess is a good thing. Right. And that said, um, the article does note that this doesn't mean that Facebook is ruling out using facial recognition in the future uh, and that they will still uh, keep their software uh, that does it, deep face. Um, and so they'll they'll delete all the data now. Um, but moving forward, there might be there might come a time when it does come come back uh, when, you know, when times change, perhaps, I don't know, um, or ways in which we can include it improve, you know, like regulatory things um, do do pass and people agree with that. Yeah, it's also worth noting that aside from privacy concerns, there's some regulatory problems, especially in Europe and elsewhere, you know, even if it's only internal use, uh, there's been some uh, legal things there. And I think with Clio View AI, as we've discussed, maybe that also prompted them so it's not a purely altruistic move, but nevertheless, I think we would agree it is a positive development. And on to a story that might be a little less positive. We have Google wants to work with the Pentagon again, despite employee concerns. So uh, this is an interesting development. Three years ago, there was an employee uh, revolt basically that forced Google to abandon work on a Pentagon, Pentagon program that uses AI. And after they've done that, now they are aggressively pursuing a major contract to provide its technology to the military. So this potentially lucrative contract is known as the Joint Warfighting Cloud Capability and it aims to modernize the Pentagon's cloud technology and support the use of AI to gain an advantage on the battlefield. Uh, you know, kind of a broad uh, goal there. And it's actually replacing a contract with Microsoft that was canceled. So uh, it's kind of a, you know, currently in the process of being competed for and Yes, you must imagine that this will be pretty lucrative if they get it, uh, but it's still interesting that they're trying for it again after having had this history of their employees not liking it. Yep, we'll see <laughs> where this goes. Um, I can imagine that, uh, I don't know, I think like Google has changed and has um, put out a stance on its ethics in some way that's slightly different than before. So we'll see where where that goes. Um, uh, and it sounds like, you know, other other large tech companies have had, you know, issues with this too. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see where this goes. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
it's interesting this article also covers the background pretty well aside from the revolt uh, after that google announced a set of ethical principles that would govern its use of ai in part because of that whole thing and, and you know they said that they would now not allow its ai to be used for weapons or surveillance uh, which i guess technically it's not with this cloud uh, contract but you know, indirectly, you're helping the military. And apparently, Google has already signed contracts with the U.S. Air, For- Air Force for cloud computing and the U.S. Navy for AI. Uh, again, not for weaponry, but still um, kind of military-related things. So it's, it's, it's a gray area, right? Uh, can you do anything uh, with a military, even if it's not combat? Um, I actually feel a little split on it myself. I don't think it's necessarily bad, but this is sure to be a controversial move and we'll see how people respond. Yes, it's definitely not black and white. Um, And some Google employees still think, you know, this doesn't violate those principles. Um, uh, And, you know, the principles like, like you mentioned, say that, you know, AI can't be applied to weapons or, um, those that direct injury. Uh, so, so yeah, we'll see. Um, this is coming at a time when um, employees are already pushing against the Project Nimbus uh, contract, which is the contract with the Israeli military um, to help uh, you know govern government entities through Israel using Google services. Um, so it's a matter of like how much is, you know, giving the platform and generic use of cloud and AI versus for something specific um, and what, you know, what entities in the government specifically as well. So or applications within the DOD. But, uh, but yeah. Oh, sure. And on to our next article, Australia ordered Clearview AI to destroy its database as it's violating privacy law. All right. At long last, Clearview gets a no from a large government. Uh, So Australia said, you know, Clearview AI needs to stop its business there. according to its privacy laws um, and it needs to stop all services in Australia uh, as well as destroy um, the database of biometric data of all the Australian citizens. Uh, So very big um, kind of push against a clear view. Um, What do you think? Yeah, it's, I guess a win for us. I think we're both not big fans of Clearview and its practices uh, in terms of a collect, scrape really data from all over the internet without any sort of, uh, you know, uh, asking people if they want to be in a database. And so here, you know, this is a pretty strong sense again it, against it. Um, I think, I wonder how many times you've talked about Clearview AI. It's got to be two dozen or so already. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I guess it's it's funny to see how much this company gets in trouble and, you know, all the various ways that governments are challenging it. It'll be interesting to see how long it will take for things to finally settle down and, you know, for the law on this to become clear. Yep, we shall see. Um, 
Oh, Clearview AI it might arguably be one of it's definitely one of our top companies that we talk about, um, especially aside from like the really big tech companies. It's definitely yeah. up there. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, interesting little development or not so little development. I was kind of. It's interesting. Australia has an information commissioner, uh, Angeline Fre- Falk, who. Uh, talked about this, said that the for collection of this kind of sensitive information is unreasonably intrusive and unfair. Um, and there's, you know, various lawsuits going on in the U.S., including, I think, one by the ACLU against Clearview. So we'll have to see if a similar result happens here. But uh, moving on to our fun stories away from all the serious stuff. First, we have uh, AIBA, the International Boxing Association, uses AI technology to vet judges and refs at Belgrade Worlds. So, uh, so yeah, it's kind of just what the story says. Uh, this association apparently is using AI to screen judges and referees to make sure that they are not going to, you know, lead to fight manipulations. So someone, you know, agrees to take a hit and uh, then the fight isn't real. And somehow the technology is using, analyzing cognitive functions of the brain through voice responses and apparently bears no resemblance whatsoever to a lie detector test. Um so I was a little confused. He <laughs> was a little bit suspicious. Uh, what do you think, Sharon? It sounds like it's doing the same thing as a lie detector test and is trying to be just like one of those. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's that's what it is. But, you know, um, it, it sounds like a relatively harmless application. I don't know. There might be a lot of politics in this. So in influencing the Olympics might be actually a much larger thing. Um, but yeah. Yeah. This is certainly in part, probably a PR move, uh, because this association got in trouble at the 2016 Rio Olympics. I think we are suspended and we're not able to take part in the latest Olympics. So, Possibly a little bit made up as far as the AI technology, but it's not hurting anyone. And, you know, I guess maybe it's real and then that would be quite impressive. And on to our last article, Miso introduces second generation restaurant kitchen robot, the Flippy 2. All right. So Miso Robotics, very cute name. Um, They make restaurant robots uh, and they just unveiled their, you know, second generation of Flippy, uh, which uh, uh, uses computer vision to help with operating a cooking station. um, So that can include, you know, fryers and all that. Um, I, yeah, I mean, this is, this is the, the movement towards the future of AI and all of these, uh, sorry, future of AI plus robotics in, in, um, everyday kind of use, uh, and looking at the photo of this robot really takes me back to when I was a waitress and did a lot of food things that I would love for the fryers to be automated. Uh, cause I, I didn't enjoy that as much. Um, so great 
place for a robot. Um, and there are a lot of menial tasks that said there are also, you know, little bits and pieces that are, I, I would imagine, much harder to automate. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know you were, uh, could relate <laughs> to this area. I myself <laughs> haven't had the pleasure, but I guess I can imagine how this would be nice. Um, yeah. So, um, apparently it's already been, uh, where it's going to make its uh, debut in, uh, White Castles, uh, in Chicago 42 location. So it's actually going to be being used somewhere. And this was developed actually, uh, with kind of experience and, uh, overseeing from White Castle. So it's actually kind of, you know, going to be in the real world. And by 2020, they hope to be in as many as 10 White Castle locations. Uh, you can check out the video. We'll link it in the description. It's kind of fun to look at. As you said, it uh, takes care of frying things in the video. And it's it's a little funny. I saw they have QR codes on the handles. So I don't know how, you know, they did simplify the problem a bit. But <laughs> definitely... You have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's a smart thing. They didn't try to do like a more super general robot to, to paint you a picture of this as an arm robot. So it has just a sort of a set of joints and a gripper. And it's actually attached to kind of like a ceiling area where it can drive back and forth uh, on a single axis. So it can pick something up, move it left, move it right. And I, I imagine that already helps with a lot of stuff. Right. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Skynet Today's Last Week in AI podcast. You can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at lastweekend.ai. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review if you like the show. It would help us quite a bit. Be sure to tune in next week.